Welcome to The Edges of Lean. I'm Bella Engelbach, and in this podcast, we explore the human and creative side of lean thinking, unusual places where lean thinking is practiced. We meet people who are practicing continuous improvement in many different flavors and styles. So come along with me on a journey to the edges of lean. Episode 79, Continuously Improving Cybersecurity with Carla Raffold. There's a crime wave out there, a cyber crime wave, and Carla Raffold is helping companies overcome the continuously changing challenges of cybersecurity. Carla started out in HR. Her story of leadership, flexibility, and innovation is inspiring for all continuous improvers. Carla Raffold, welcome to the Edges of Lean. Hey, thank you for having me. Carla, you are in cybersecurity, and I would love to know, what was your career path into into cybersecurity? So my career path into cybersecurity is a little different from what you might expect. You know, I don't have a technical background, and I haven't come up through that route. What I did was I founded a recruitment business uh, 10, 12 years ago now. And it focused on recruiting for people within risk. And pretty early on, someone said to me, you should really look at getting into this cybersecurity thing. I think it's going to be quite big. So uh, I did and we did and we we looked at that. And within a couple of months, that was all we did. We, we doubled down and we really just focused on that. And that meant that we were one of the first and at that time, probably only businesses that were focused just on cybersecurity recruitment. And that was really, really successful for us. So I grew that business, brought it to America, sold it. The people that bought it wanted me then to move to the US, which I did in 2020. Um, and for uh, like for many people, 2020 wasn't a great year, particularly in starting. So uh, I moved into, you know, kind of my dream job as a COO of a cybersecurity vendor. So we look at threat intelligence, risk ratings and vulnerability prioritization now. And uh, yeah, that's how I ended up in a, a more cybersecurity focused role. So you really started in more of an an HR recruitment role and then moved into the cybersecurity because that was what people were asking for. And um, I think that's that's just very interesting. Whenever I hear people say, well, this opportunity presented itself and I took it. Was there a point where you felt you were stepping out on thin ice um, and you wanted that challenge? What What was the tipping point for you? I think at the time, and I say this often, like I was young and naive and I thought everything would be easy. So it never felt like there I was on thin ice. You know, probably that tipping point of let's go explore a new industry and see if there's an opportunity here. At the time, actually, that didn't feel that scary because I was very focused on I've done a lot of work in business continuity and disaster recovery which did have a bit of a boom and I was always looking for where's the next boom coming from so I think I was Mm. excited by by that but yes you know it is something of a transition you know um, and gives me a unique or not maybe unique but an unusual perspective in that I have that HR background those people skills uh, rather than the technical ones and that's so so in line with what we do on this podcast, Carla, as you know, because 
it's really about the human side of what we're doing. Um, the technical piece is always a challenge, right? Um, yes. And I would think in cybersecurity, the technical piece is always changing. So, so if you're recruiting somebody who has a specific uh, skill set, that skill set may not be as much in demand in you know, a year or two years or even a few months. Um, but the ability to learn new skills is probably really important, right? So that would be my guess anyway. <laughs> I, I think that's that's largely right. Yes. So uh, more that new things come out, you know, cloud security was not an issue a few years ago, but now all of our systems or a lot of our business systems are in the cloud. So we need to think about how we protect the cloud. A lot of systems um, are very similar and businesses tend to move quite slow, right? Like we see much more legacy tech, I think, than we do, you know, new cutting edge tech. So I think if you have actually sometimes having those older skill sets can put you in quite high demand because people don't continue to learn them. Well, that's really interesting. And and yes, that is true. Um, you know, I know because I, I previously worked for a big company and I, we, were, we were always, um, you know, one operating system behind what we were using at home, at least, right? And going into the cloud was, that was absolutely terrifying. Yeah. So Carla, the, I, I think, I, in fact, I know a lot of my listeners are people um, who like us are, um, you know, have started their own company. Uh, and when we step out into that space, there are all these things that we have to think about that we are probably not our primary purpose in starting the company. And one of them obviously is cybersecurity. And one of the things that, that really baffles me when I think about that is what are even all of the tools and the, the systems that I'm using and so the you know the vendors that I'm working with people do the website or people people doing other things for my organization how can somebody start to get on top of that it can be really overwhelming right because it sounds yeah. like a big scary word that's really technical that you know where on, I'm not a cybersecurity person where on earth can I start and there are some there are some pretty basic things that you can do and if you're just starting a business and you're a, you're a small business like think about what your risk what's what really is your risk because you could go spend a huge amount of money on cybersecurity but it's not relevant to the risk that you're actually facing so like one of the easiest cheapest simplest things you can do is think about your email security. So there is something called uh, SPF, and then there is something called DMARC. Now getting those two things configured is relatively easy to do in the hosting domain, wherever you're hosting your website. They, they are now built to make that easy for you to do. And when I've had to do it for my own businesses, like I wasn't technical, I relied on their support, you know, I would call support and ask them to help me to do it. Um, and, you know, it was pretty easy to do, like it did require a little bit of effort, a couple of hours, but doing those two things, big, big tick in email security, like it, it gets you surprisingly further forward than a lot of other small businesses one of the other big benefits of doing that is not just that your email is slightly more secure than it then was 
But big companies will probably have um, policies in place that won't allow you allow them to receive emails from companies that don't have those things. So it's going to be a necessary part of you doing business, assuming you want to do business with slightly larger companies, which I think most most businesses do. Um, to be able to interact with them. So that's like my first big top tip to go put in place. So is that something that your average small business owner can do on their own or do they need to go to somebody else to, to do that? I would say most people can do it on their own. Um, most people with, you know, a little bit of technical knowledge. And if you've got enough technical knowledge that you've known, you've worked out how to buy a domain and you've worked out how to get some website hosting, you've probably got enough knowledge. Um, and if you don't, just pick up the phone to the, the web hosting company and they'll probably help you. There are companies that then will help you, um, you know, and I think the first time I did it, I got some help with from a company cost me a couple of hundred dollars per year. So like really low cost, but big impact. The other thing that's, um, you know, pretty major and we will all be experiencing this in our personal lives is two factor authentication or multi factor right. authentication. You know, you probably have that. Your bank probably makes you do it. You know, a huge number of websites make you do it. So wherever you can enable that, enable that. That makes a huge, huge difference. You know, if your password gets breached, um, then having that in place will almost certainly prevent an attack and if not, at least slow them down. So big thing doesn't really cost anything. And a lot of of the software that's out there or the, the cloud software where that's out there that we take advantage of is making us do that anyway right so that's yeah yeah which yeah it's a little bit, a bit crazy making at the moment i feel like i have to have my phone in my hand all the time but um yeah yeah so what are the dangers i mean what what are we when well, we're talking about having cyber security what are the things that are happening I think the big thing that people are worried about right now is ransomware. So these are criminal groups who are able to infect your systems, encrypt your data. Often now what we're seeing is they don't just encrypt your data, but they steal it. So if you refuse to pay the ransom to have your data de-encrypted, they will threaten to leak your data, which potentially carries the risk of fines. And, you know, we worry about our customers not being very happy that we've lost their data and how we have to inform them. And that varies, you know, obviously by state. But that's the big risk that people are worried about right now. Um, and there are a few things that you can do. So sort of those basic security measures, you know, being aware of phishing emails, because that's often the way that they get to you, particularly as a small business. So, you know, be skeptical about what links you're clicking on and what emails you're, you're opening and what you receive. Um, but then the next thing is, you know, have a have a plan in place for what you what you're going to do about that. You probably have a plan, even if it's not written down somewhere, you probably have a plan. Of, well, what do I do if I can't get to my office? What do I do if I lose my laptop or you know you, you probably have thought about those things so have a think about well, what would I do if I don't have access to my data and I'm hit with a ransom demand mm, yeah right so it's a little business continuity planning there even if it's just exactly right it's it's resilience and business continuity planning by a different name and with a you know a slightly different focus but it, 
if you think about that ahead of time, even if it's just, you know, 30 minutes that you spend looking at what would that mean for me and what would I want to do about it, you know, then you're a lot further ahead than a lot of other small businesses. And the thing that um, the thing that we hear in cybersecurity most often, particularly from smaller companies, is I don't have anything worth stealing. Like I don't have anything that they would want. You know, my data isn't that interesting. It's not that valuable. Maybe even like I don't even have any money in the bank account yet because I'm so new. Well, that may all be true, but you potentially and at, at some point, hopefully will have customers and they might want access to your customers and you might be the route to their, those customers that you have. So it's not even necessarily about what you have that's worth stealing. It's about what your customers have. And your customers will be, if they aren't already, asking you about what cybersecurity measures you have in place. So this isn't just about protecting you. It's about helping you win and keep business. Wow. Wow. Can I tell you about something that 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 almost happened to me a few weeks ago? Yeah, please do. I I got an email from a previous client with a link in it that said they had posted an RFP on their website, and I was like, "Oh, that's nice. That's nice. They thought of me." And I went to click that link, and the um, virus protection on my laptop said that is a dangerous link. And I thought, well, how can it be? This is coming from my client. Um, and, you know, obviously, the, you know, there's just, maybe there's something wrong with the link. So I went to contact the client. And what I found out was that their whole email system was down because it had, it was infected with, um, with some kind of malware. And that was how it had sent this email to me, you know, saying that there was an RFP, which there wasn't an RFP, too bad. Well, that wasn't the end of the story. What I learned later was that the, the people who had gotten into their system had managed to contact, um, this was a, um, a school system, actually, had managed to contact the state. The state sends money to the school system as part of the way the school is funded, they actually were having those funds go to a completely different bank account. But that wasn't the end of it. There was also a romance scam involved. There was a woman who was involved in a romance scam with somebody who was in this organization and they were getting her to move the funds out of a bank in the US to a bank elsewhere in the world using cryptocurrency so it was this very complicated wow crime. yeah no it was millions millions of dollars involved and i almost fell for it you know that that was um that i was like well i'm so glad i'll have that virus protection i'm so glad i have my vpn on you know on my network but boy and i thought i would never fall for a phishing scam i thought you know it's usually like a misspelling or something that gives it away this came, this really did come from the client's email system. Wow. Yeah, we, we're seeing that more and more. So you see a couple of things with phishing emails. Sometimes the spelling or the language is bad. That's actually intentional because they're assuming or working on the basis that if you have fallen for that, then you are going to continue to fall for the scam. So they're weeding you out. 
we're then seeing them get more sophisticated. The language is better because they, they are genuinely, you know, trying to get to more people. And then what you're talking about is called business email compromise. So they have been able to actually access the emails. That email is genuine. You know, it's not a it's not a Gmail or something masquerading. It's a, they've actually compromised those emails. And for all the reasons that you've just said, you know, they've then been able to uh, contact people who will send the money and divert those funds. So we see that more and more. Ransomware has decreased slightly this year, and that, but business yeah. email compromise has not. So, <laughs> there's, so there's always somebody out there trying trying to get money. Yeah. yeah. Well, I wonder if we could uh, just switch the topic um, for a few minutes. I wanted to go back to what you said about going into cybersecurity and starting your company, really coming from the, the, the people side, from, from the human side. And one of the things that is always of interest to, I think, us in the continuous improvement community is that so many people who are in business come from a, a technical background, perhaps a computing background, engineering background, science background, and they struggle with the people side of business as their business, um, as they advance in the business or their business grows. And um, what do you look for when you're looking for talent um, you know, for your own company or what, when you were looking for talent previously that helps you find the people who are sort of willing and able to learn a different way of, of being in an organization? The number one thing, and I think this applies to like all roles, all industries, is like how aligned to values are they like your values now that means you need to know what your values are either as a company or yeah. as a leader like and that's maybe not as easy as it sounds but if you if you've worked that out then looking for people that line up with those values is going to be the most important thing because you know and obviously then there's some technical skills and you're looking for you know can they can they learn particularly if they're, they're making a switch and if, if it's about learning then I look for how they're demonstrating that level of interest but I think if you can show that somebody lines up with your values, that gets you so, so far in terms of having a successful hire. Um, and also when we think about the diversity of our teams as well, you know, we can, if we're looking for values alignment, I think that helps us hire a more diverse group of people. And I could talk forever about that, so I won't go off on that rabbit hole, but that's, that's the big thing I think I've learned in this space, look for values, hire for values. How did you develop uh, your values for your for your first company? I did it very early on, sat down with my yeah. co-founder and we looked at what do we think our values are. Now, if I if I look back um, and with a whole lot more experience and a lot more knowledge, like did what we say they were, were they what they really were? Some of them were, but not maybe not all, you know, one of the big ones that stood out that was there. And, you know, I think is now is like honesty. I don't care if people make mistakes. I don't care if things go wrong. I care that you come and tell me the truth about that and that we have that level of trust. So um, I think that was there. But yeah, definitely some they've definitely evolved let's say over over the years um i think as i've just got more mature and really understood maybe a bit more about who i am and what i do value so wow that i mean that's really interesting to me because because you know we talk about that all the time and we and we talk about the importance of having values and sharing our values and 
and giving people the opportunity actually to contribute to the conversation about what the values are. I just, I, I really like what you said there, Carla, about those values evolving and that you understanding yourself better as, um, as, as you matured or as, as you became uh, probably, yeah, developed a, even a better understanding of what the business meant to you. Yeah. Yeah. So when you say that you're looking, you're looking for somebody who is, let's say, has that honesty, is, is willing to say, oh, you know, I really did. I made a mistake here. I tried something. It didn't work out for me. How how might you, in interviewing them or in uh, working with them early on, find that out? Because, you know, somebody could very well say, oh, yeah, all the time. You know, I, I fess up my mistakes all the time. So I do, there. I do this one thing now and one thing that I used to do. So the question yeah. I used to ask was, tell me the last time you told a lie. Because we all lie, even if it's a small, small things on a day-to-day -day basis. You know, I would, I said I would never lie to my children. I lie to them all the time. You know, McDonald's is always closed. Like, you know, so someone who but can say, who is honest enough to say, you know what, I did that this morning or whatever it is, you know, that's showing me that they, um, that's some honesty right there. I don't use that question anymore. What I what I do ask people now, though, is I ask them, um, you know, what do you think the challenges are going to be for you in this role? Or here's where I see this being a leap for you. What do you think? Quite often people go, I, I don't think it is. You know, I'm excited about that. And I, I think there's, you know, this is the the role that I'm, I'm going to be great at. And actually, I've done all these other things that mean that that really isn't a concern for you. And that's a big turnoff for me. Someone that says... Mm. I do see that I'm going to have some challenges and these are the things I'm going to do to try and learn. I go, great, they get it. And they're being honest about the fact that they have gaps rather than just trying to, to sell me. So when I ask people that and I get that response, that's when I'm excited and I can see some of that values alignment. How much of that has to do also with how you react to what people tell you? I think your reaction as a leader is a, big thing right you want it to yeah be safe for people to come to you and say I don't know the answer to this can you help me and that is all about how you react the first time that they do that and how you um how you show them sometimes that what you don't know you know I have a uh someone that works with me at the moment who has come on hugely in the last year in what she's learned in HR and sometimes I may go look I don't quite know the answer to this this is what I think the answer is can you go find out for me and, and let me know so it, I, I'm guessing and I'm speaking on her behalf, but I would hope that, you know, me saying I don't always have the answer has enabled her to say, I don't know what the answer to this one is. Can you help me? Yeah, I think it's such a temptation, right? Even though when we espouse the value of, you know, we're, we're not we're not here to know everything. We're not here to have all the answers. Um, there's still, I, was, I mean, I certainly feel like this sort of pressure to, be at least the person who's able to drive towards the decision, right? Which sometimes means, at least I feel, means that um, you have to uh, think about what some of the some of the options might be, uh, perhaps present and share those options. But then at the same time, it's very easy to, at least for me, to get stuck on. All right. I think this is the only correct option or this is the option we should be following 
I, I think I'm doing therapy here with you, with you girls. <laughs> because I think, and I think and I think it's a misunderstanding of what leadership is to do that. You know, leadership is is not knowing the direction all the time. You know, it might be knowing the general direction, but what's the direction for today? Somebody else might be the one to find that out for us. I don't even think there was a question in there for you. No, but I, I think what you're what you're saying, and this is a hard skill, right? And this is what separates like a a manager from a leader and maybe a good from a great one is, at least to me, is knowing when do I coach and when do I need to give the answer? When am I helping yeah. you find the answer? And when do you just need me to tell you what to do? And that isn't, you know, 100% foolproof every time. But I think if you can get that right most of the time you're going to help your people develop you're going to help them feel safe and secure around you and you're going to see better outcomes yeah and and that that is that 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 point that you just talked about which is coaching is incredibly important and we talk about that on this podcast all the time you know coaching is the best way to develop people right sometimes you do need to give the answer and knowing those moments is a learned skill and you're going to learn it by making mistakes, I think. And that's, you know, that's, that's life. That's life and business. Yeah. I'm lucky. I've had some people work for me who are like, I don't want to be coached right now. Just please tell me the answer. <laughs> They're willing to be that honest. So, um, yeah, I don't think you don't have to get it right every time. You just have to get it right more often than you get it wrong. Yeah. Yeah, that's a that's a really really good point. Yeah, when when you you have built and sold a couple of businesses, what's that like? That point of saying, "I'm leaving this one, I'm starting something new." What does that What is that like for you? Is that a massively exciting? Is it? It's exciting in retrospect. It was, yeah. it's kind of anticlimactic, I think a little bit because anyone who's done it or experienced or been around it will know it takes a really long time to get through that, you know, negotiating, you know, getting the deal right and then due diligence. And then even then, you know, just the first business I sold, the deal almost fell apart the, the day before, you know, luckily we were able to keep it together, but just getting it done at that point was such a relief. So it, it, it was more, yeah, it was more relief than anything else by the time we got it done. Now I could look back and go, oh my God, it was so exciting. I'm so proud of having built something that, you know, and in industries that maybe aren't um, known for acquisitions, you know, to be able to say, well, I've done that twice and been able to build something that someone else saw value in now is hugely exciting. And I'm very proud of it. But at the time, yeah, just. Did I lose you there for a second? I think so. Yes. I've just, let me just write down. This is why I never do live. Write down the time. Do you want me to say something? Do you want me to say that again? Uh, yes. Start again. <laughs> so I think that the honest answer is it's anticlimactic. So, you know, the anyone that's been through that will know it's a very long process of negotiating the deal, kind of getting that done, due diligence, 
the first business I, I sold, the deal almost fell apart the day before. So at that point, it was just pure relief, I think, to, to get it done. But now with hindsight, I can look back and say, I've sold two businesses in areas that aren't necessarily known for acquisitions. And I'm hugely proud of that. And it is hugely exciting. And, you know, I'm excited to kind of go on that journey multiple times in my future career where, you know, hopefully I can build something that someone else sees enough value in to want to buy. But I think at the time, it's, uh, yeah, a very different set of emotions. Uh, and congratulations on that. I'm, I mean, that's a a milestone that not every business owner achieves. So, so well done. And, yeah. and hopefully you keep doing it. Yeah. Building. Tell us about your podcast, Carla. So I started a podcast this year. It's my second one, actually. I had one a couple of years ago where we talked about cybersecurity, but this one is about, um, it's called the capital T. So I interview CEOs and founders and uh, VCs sometimes. And we talk, about issues that are important to them so it's not one of the ones where we talk about the journey that you've been on as a, an entrepreneur we're looking at you know what do what do founders CEOs VCs care about today um, and it's been a huge variety of issues which I think encompasses life as a CEO where you have to focus on a huge number of things and what kind of people have you met podcasting uh, I've met a lot of different people now, actually. So a lot of them have been within my industry. You know, I know I know a lot of CEOs that are, are in cybersecurity, yeah. obviously. Um, but yeah, you know, people with great stories, people with who have been immigrants and set up businesses because they felt like that was their only kind of choice and people who are really mission driven because they've experienced something and they want to go solve that problem uh you know people who are investing in those businesses and what they see coming through from the landscape and people again who are really values led you know one, one guy talking about how mental health um has sort of formed how he creates and delivers his business so yeah great great people that i've met well, well if, you're, if you're listening to this podcast check out carla's as well that would be yeah. Uh, that would be terrific. It would be. Thank Carla, you. Carla, what would be your one piece of advice for a young person studying out? So I'm torn between saying I don't want to give you any advice because I look back and say my naivety was the the greatest gift I could have had. You know, not not knowing how hard it was, I would not go back and do this again because I, you know, now I know all the things that could go wrong. But I think the the real advice is know what your boundaries are. I think a lot of the mistakes I made early on came because I didn't really know my boundaries and I hadn't set them and I didn't know how to set them. And when I learned that, things just things just changed um, and I got you know much better results, much better outcomes. I became a better leader as well. You know, people want boundaries and people want limits. So um, that would be my advice, you know, learn, learn where yours are, learn who you are. It really is terrific advice. And just calling back to what you said earlier, it may be something that takes a little bit of time. You know, what you believe at 21, what's important to you at 21 may not be the same uh, at other points in your life. Um, so I think, but it's always worth studying that journey. Thank you for that. Now, how do people find you? We talked about the Capital T podcast. Tell us about the other places people can find you. 
I'm on LinkedIn a lot. So uh, yeah, LinkedIn is probably the, the easiest place to find me. And I think there's only one person with my name. So I'm pretty easy to find. Great, great. Right. So thank you so much for traveling with me to the edges of Lean. It's been really, really interesting having you. Thank you so much. This is Bella Engelbach, and I'd like to thank Carla Riffle for being my guest on the Edges of Lean. What did you learn from this conversation? What ideas did it spark? We would love to hear from you. Find Carla on LinkedIn or at https colon backslash backslash www.carlareffle.co.uk. Her podcast is capital T. Find me on LinkedIn or at leanforhumans.com or comment wherever you watch or listen. Subscribe and tell a friend about the edges of lean. Please join me in exploring more of the edges of lean. There's a lot to learn and check out my friends in the lean communicators community at leancommunicators.com. You'll find more podcasts and videos with lots of great new content every week. The Edges of Lean is written and produced by Bella Engelberg with support from Podcast Inc. This is a Lean for Humans production.